That's better. Thank you. All right. I'm just get my glasses on. I wanted to start and, and read from a, a little book. I don't know if you've come across this before. It's called Hear My Cry. It was produced by the Bible Society uh, a few years ago. It's Hear My Cry, Words for When There Are No Words. And it's a collection of psalms, poetry and prayers um, and letters home um, relating to the uh, Second World War. And I just wanted to read uh, one particular uh, section. Um, and this is from written by a man called Harry Foster. And this is his letter from the Psalm in August 1916, so First World War. From This is a 20-year-old uh, Harry Foster to his mother. And he, this is from his letter. The Germans sent out bombing parties and they tried to bomb us out of their front line. For five hours we kept them at bay, having only those bombs which were carried by each man to a piece. When these had all been collected and exhausted, we managed to find the German bomb store and use their own bombs against them. These lasted another hour or so, but we had to eventually give ground and retire along the trench. Things began to look serious, as we had no bombs left and we were receiving showers of them from the Germans. It was pretty evident that nothing could be done, and it was a case of every man for himself or surrender and be captured. Of course, there was no, not the slightest doubt as to which course we would take, so we all commenced to run the gauntlet across no man's land back to our trenches. We had 400 yards to go, and immediately a terrific, ter- terrific machine gun fire opened upon us. I cannot write about the scene that followed. It was simply awful. I could see it was absolutely useless and going on and I immediately threw myself into a shell hole a few yards from the German trench amongst the remains of their wire entanglements. One or two others followed my example and immediately dropped in. But the Germans had seen them and they commenced throwing bombs at us from their trench. There was nothing for it but to shift and most of us made another dash. I looked ahead and I saw another shell hole about 10 yards away and stopping low I dashed for it. I was in terrible plight, as weak as a rat and not knowing what to do. I decided to wait until it was dark when I should have a better chance of crawling back to our trenches. At last I knew it was getting dark as it, at last I knew it was getting dark as the rays of a star Shell managed to penetrate the dark corner where I was. Making as little movement as possible, I slipped off my equipment and everything else I was carrying and commenced to crawl through the shattered wire. Several times I got hung up on it and it seemed ages before I could free myself. At last I got clear of the wire which stretched about 30 yards or more and began to breathe freely. I got back to our lines and at once went to the dressing station and had my arms, wrists and hands painted with iodine to prevent any poisoning from the many barbed wire scratches I had. Through God's help alone I survived that day. All through you can see how wonderfully our prayers were answered. And I am, am, as you know, full of gratitude 
to him. Harry was only one of two men left alive out of his platoon of 36 men. And I wanted to read that this morning just to help us remember. Because we forget. We sit here in the comfortability of this place and the freedoms and the liberty we have and we watch these films, these war shows on TV and we look back and go, that must have been terrible. Then we go about our business, go about our day and we forget about the great sacrifice of these young men. Kids still, a lot of them. Fighting for our freedom. Fighting for the lives of those that were at home. Many of them went and didn't come back. Many of them, their bodies never been found. Tremendous sacrifice. Tremendous sacrifice. But we live in a time and an age where people easily forget. And we have a generation today that some of them don't even understand truly about the level of sacrifice. Some of them don't care about the sacrifice that went before. Some of them want us to rewrite history and and say that these things didn't happen or these things were, you know, people weren't, weren't to be valued in what they did. And they want to rewrite it all, yet stand in the very liberties that people laid down their lives for. We live in an age where people have become apathetic. And the thing is, we're not talking about things that were five, six, seven, eight centuries ago. There are people alive today that fought in this great world war, the Second World War. There are people here this morning that can remember, possibly, being a young child. But we're living in an age where people are keen to forget. War memorials being desecrated. I remember um, when I was down in South Lincolnshire one one Remembrance Day, the news came through that um, one of the, like, the village halls or, or somewhere had been broken into and they had stolen the poppy appeal. That's where we're at. We're in a society that wants to forget. And, you know, Winston Churchill penned the words, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. I want to add my own words to that and say those that forget history are condemned to repeat it. See, we have to remember. And it's the remembering that helps us. So that we won't forget them. And the great sacrifice that was made all those years ago so that we can have what we have. It should change our perspective. And if as a collective we remember well and we teach those that come behind us to remember well, 
we will have a positive effect and they will not forget and they won't go about and desecrate war memorials because we will live and by extension we will help them live in a place of remembrance. And when we remember the cost, we value the rewards. We shouldn't forget about the sacrifices of the soldiers, the service men, the service women that went before. But unfortunately we do. And it's disgraceful is what it is. But we sit here this morning as the house of God. And we can talk about the sacrifice of the soldiers that went in through these wars. And we can talk about how disgraceful it is that people forget about that. But how much more so when we as the people of God forget the ultimate sacrifice in the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. Because it's the very same thing and it's the very same principle. We do not live our lives in light of Calvary. End of. None of us do fully. We just don't. We're stuck in Western Christianity and we're trapped in the bubble of comfort and privilege. And we do not live in the light of Calvary's cross. From me to you, there's not one of us that is truly living this. But that's the call. We're not to forget. We're to remember Calvary's cross. We're to remember the cost. And we're to live in the reward. Always thankful of what has gone before in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do forget. What was yesterday for you and me? Worrying about dinner. Worrying about whatever chores we have to do. Worrying about whatever things we have to get in place. Watching a football match and losing your mind. But rejoicing because your team beat the old pastor's team yesterday well. But what was it? What was Friday? What was Thursday? What was Wednesday? What was Tuesday? What was Monday? Was it a life led in the reflection of Calvary's cross? Anybody want to put their hand up and say yes? I can't. I can't. But just because that's the majority response doesn't make it the right response, does it? But I'm using that to illustrate the point. We do forget. We forget about Calvary. And that should be to our shame. So whenever Remembrance Day comes around, you know, we, 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 we remember those soldiers that went before, but what about the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ? Turn with me this morning. We're going to have a look at Calvary. Chapter 27 of Matthew this morning. We're going to read from verse 24. We want to remember Calvary. 
You know, Calvary should be like smelling salts for the Christian. Smelling salts are what they're used for as well. And you know, in the boxing arena, somebody gets knocked out, you want to snap them back, wake them up, stick the salts under their nose. That's what Calvary should be for the Christian. That's what the cross should be for us. Because we're in a daze. We're asleep in the light, church. Uh, honestly, um, <laughs> this is not me, let's attack the congregation. This is me sitting with you, listening to the words that I'm saying. We are asleep in the light. And Calvary's cross should be the thing that should break us out of that stupor, and that daze. It should wake us up. As we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read this this morning. I want you to understand. That whether you're here this morning. And you know him as saviour or not. The Christ that we are talking about this morning. Did this for you. If you were the only person on earth. He would have still done it for you. This is Calvary and the great sacrifice. Let's read verse 24. Matthew 27. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather the tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See, you do it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas onto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe. This was to mock him. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. This isn't any ordinary man that's being mocked. This isn't any ordinary person. This is the one that created everything. That holds everything together. And they spit upon him. Took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted, therefore, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head this accusation written, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. We cast our minds back to that scene. The Lord Jesus went through this with you in his heart. With me in his heart. 
with us on his heart. He endured this. He didn't need to. Didn't have to. It was his choice to. I wonder this week how often we've thought about that. Whenever we've begun to feel a little bit sorry for ourselves, as we do, things aren't going our way, whatever it may be. I wonder if we've cast our eyes to Calvary. The problem is we forget. But as we think about Calvary, we shouldn't forget, we should remember. And as we think about this scene in Calvary this morning, there's three things that I want to draw out that we shouldn't forget. Here's the first thing. God forbid us, lest we forget our part. That's the first thing when we think about Calvary. See, we had our part in what took place that day. We had a role in it. People want to blame the Jews, and the Jews were involved, certainly. It was a religious establishment. We, t- we just picked up in the narrative where Pilate had had enough, really. He, he washed his hands. He tried to come up with some solution so that the Lord Jesus Christ could go free. The Paschal Amnesty, that every year at Passover, that to appease the Jews, because Passover was a time of remembrance, of deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt by the hand of God. You get to the account where Christ is walking on the earth and the Jews are under the rule of the Romans. They are an oppressed people. They are an occupied people. Although the Romans allow them to do their stuff, it's under the heavy control and the watchful eye and the the strong uh, fist of Rome. So every year at the Passover, Jews are required to come to Jerusalem. So there is a great swelling of people. And as part of that, there's a great swelling of national pride and remembrance of deliverance. And they're looking for the Messiah to come and deliver them. So what the Romans used to do to try and appease the crowd so they wouldn't get too carried away is every year they would give them the opportunity to release somebody onto them. It was known as the Paschal Amnesty. And there was two different types of this amnesty. One was for somebody that was tried, convicted, serving their time. And this is the category that Barabbas fitted into. He was guilty. He had been found guilty. Sentenced to death. And then the other type was for those that were waiting their sentencing, that hadn't gone to full trial. They could be released. And that Jesus would have fitted into that category And Pilate, rather than doing the right thing, he's relying on others to do the right thing. And when you do that, don't be surprised when they don't do the right thing. It's our duty to do the right thing first and foremost. So the religious establishment moved the people, they cajoled the people. Their goal is to crucify Jesus because he is teaching a message that has shaken the foundations of their control and the religious establishment that they had set up because the gospel, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of biblical Christianity has no time for man's system of religion, whatever that may be. It is a threat to it. 
And man will do whatever man can do to try and stop it. This has happened through the ages. For those that are true Bible believers have been persecuted for their message. It's a message of liberty and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message where there is no one to confess your sins to other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a message where you do not work for favor with God. But Jesus went to the cross so that you might experience favor with God. It's a message that the world systems hates and the Jews were the same and they, they pushed and they pushed and went through all sorts of uh, kangaroo courts and skipped processes and pushed it and paid off people, all that sort, so that Jesus would go to the cross. You could say, yeah, the Jews, they're the ones that are responsible. Or you could blame the Romans, you could blame Pilate, like I've said. Pilate should have done the right thing. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He declared him so. Why did he not just set him free? Why The Romans were the ones that hauled him up and put him upon that tree. They're the ones that crucified him. They're the ones that whipped him with a cat and nine tails. Surely they're the ones that are responsible. And to an extent, there's responsibility there. And to an extent with the Jews, there's responsibility there also. But ultimately, Christ was there not because of the schemes of the Jews. Christ was there not because of the rule of the Romans. Christ was there because he turned his face towards Calvary's cross. That he would do the will of the Father so that we could be in a right relationship with God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. These are familiar verses to some of us this morning. Isaiah 53. Some of you could maybe quote that for me. But the theme of this morning's message is not learn something new. Let's not forget what we know. Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is a prophecy of Christ written ever before he walked the earth. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. By interpretation, we're dealing with Israel. By application, we're dealing with every single one of us here this morning. That it was our sin, our iniquity, our trespasses. That he died for. Turn to 1 Peter. Chapter number 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 
1 Peter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we might, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but you are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Here, Peter is leaning heavily on Isaiah 53. Some of the same root words are going to be used in there. What's the message? The message is this. Christ went to the cross for us. It was our sin that caused the cross. We should never forget our part when we think about Calvary's cross. So we shouldn't forget our part. Secondly, when we think about Calvary's cross, we mustn't forget our pardon. See, our immense guilt in this makes it all the more remarkable when we think about our pardon. Yes, our part caused him to go to the cross. It makes our pardon all the more magnificent. Turn to Colossians chapter number 2, verse 14. Colossians 2, 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That which is against us has been blotted out. This is the reality for those that have accepted their part, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted his pardon. The reality is the penalty of sin has been removed from you. Unfortunately, we still deal with the practice of sin. And that works it out until finally we see him and meet him. And that's done with. But in terms of the judicial sense, the penalty of sin has been dealt with upon Calvary's cross. The handwriting of ordinances, the offences, the trespasses that you and I have committed, if we come to him and save in faith, have been took out of the way, have been nailed to the cross. We sung that hymn this morning as well, didn't we? Here's some of the words. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. What a thought that is. That we can stand here, forgiven for the penalty of sin, everything that we've ever done that has transgressed God's standard. We say this to the kids, anything we think, say or do that doesn't please God. So let's not even deal with actions. I can't. Honestly, actions are so, so much in the worldly realm. Because we think by our actions we can make it look like we're good people. But God deals at heart level. So if everything we've ever thought, say or do... Do is in the last of that list. What's first? Thought. Anybody thought anything bad this week? <laughs> anything thought any ba- anything bad this morning? 
Anybody thinking I'm bad now? <laughs> Maybe. Listen, we, 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 all of us, I say this so often, all of us would run a million miles if somebody could see a little series of a day in the life of the head of Pastor Kevin. Or your life. Just even the highlights, not at all, of the things that you've thought for the last week. I say this as a, as a challenge. Nobody's ever took me up on it. Maybe because it's hypothetical. But, you know, who would volunteer to have that shown this morning as a special show? You'd be horrified, wouldn't you? You would be horrified. There's not a person in here that would be horrified if we could play back all even the thoughts they've had. Now, thankfully, none of us have seen each other's thoughts. Praise God for that. But God has seen every single thought. Not just last week, but for every moment of your life. When he went to Calvary's cross, he took all that, kneeled it upon his cross, and said, that can be forgiven. So much so, the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. The east and west, they don't meet. That's what the psalmist is saying. God comes in and he pushes them away. The writer of Hebrews said, for I, for chapter 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their righteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. I want you to notice what the word is. I will remember no more. That's not, I'll forget them. What's the difference between I will remember them no more and God forgets? It's a choice. Forgetfulness, hopefully, isn't a choice for you. But God chooses to remember them no more. It's not that he's forgotten. It's not that he can't, oh, what have they done? They can't remember. I've forgotten. No. In his sovereignty, in his grace, in his mercy, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross, God has said, I know what you've done. I've seen it all, but I'm removing it from you, and I'm not going to remember it anymore. I will never look back and hold you account for that. The penalty of sin is done. It is dusted. The Lord Jesus Christ once for all give his life so that I can now say I'm not going to hold you to account for that. That's a powerful thing isn't it? You just think about your life and, and, and what God has seen and what now because of Christ he's choosing not to remember. As human beings we may forgive people. We get in tiffs and fights and arguments. Somebody may have hurt us and we may have forgiven them, we say. Maybe husband and wife, that's usually a good example of this. Where something's happened, you've had a bit of a rocky patch or whatever, one person has forgiven the other person for their behaviour and they say, that's forgiven, we're done. And you move on. Years may go past until... You get into the fight of all fights. The gloves are off. And when the gloves are off, you dig deep for ammunition, right? You start to say hurtful things and you get something thrown at you that's hurtful. What do you do? You go into the memory box and you say, all right, well, what about that time? Have some of that. 
God's never going to do that. He's never going to do that. We shouldn't forget our part. But beloved, we should never forget our pardon. Grace is immeasurable. It's beautiful. And we should live as people of grace. Which leads us to our final point. We shouldn't forget our part. We shouldn't forget our pardon. And then ultimately, off the back of that, this, that's the foundation, understanding who we are before God and who we are now, what he's done for us, should lead us to never forget our purpose. Turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 3.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul expands, Romans 12, doesn't he? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Based on what? Based on our part. And our pardon. Based on Calvary. Paul says, because of grace, because of grace, our reasonable service should be to live for the one who has blessed us with that grace. It's the least that could be expected. Not out of we have to do this or the grace will be removed. Not that we have to do this or the pardon will be rescinded. We don't earn anything with God. We just submit and we surrender to God and say, God, what would you have me to do? How can I give my life to serve you? Because you died for me. He gave himself for us. Calvary is the great reminder of the love and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that we should be prepared to walk that life. He was the ultimate example. Sacrificial service, always in obedience to the will of the Father. We call it perfect, active obedience. Perfect because it was always right. 100% obedience all the time. Active because it wasn't passive. It wasn't sitting there. It was doing what God the Father had called him to do. Active, perfect obedience. That's the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't do it to save our souls. We do it because of the one who saved our souls. Jesus himself said, Matthew 16, verse 24, talking to his disciples, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the example that is laid before us. So when we remember our part, that it was our sin that put him upon the tree, then we remember our pardon, that he secured our liberty, our freedom from the penalty of sin, that God will never judge us with an eternal judgment for sin. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are the beloved set upon a rock and he will never ever let us go. No matter what we do, if we are in him, we can never be outside of him. And because of that, we should remember our purpose. 
Why are we here? Why? It's not for the world. It's for Him. It's for Him. We had our part. We've had our pardon. But we have a purpose. There's work to be done. There are people that have never accepted, number one, their part, and definitely not their pardon. And therefore, they will face judgment for their sin because God is holy and just. Oh, God's loving. God is love, but he's also holy and perfect, and he could never, ever overlook sin. That's why Christ had to come. But what are we doing in the purpose of sharing that message? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You see, folks, when we remember Calvary, we cannot, we should not be able to have anything but hearts full of gratitude and thanks for him. That's what Calvary does. As I've said, it's the smell and salt to the Christian. It's in a daze. It's half asleep. It should shake us up and wake us up to the reality of why we're here. We should be grateful. There's an account I'm going to read to you of a, of a man that expressed his gratitude to his dying day. Let me, let me read this. It's a bit of a long illustration, but... I think it highlights a great truth. And we're done with this. There was gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the east coast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death, until 1973, he'd return and walk slowly, walking slowly, slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Every Friday night until he died in 1973. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour that would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the B-17 became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The largest raft was nine by five, the biggest shark ten feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, one proved the most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them. But a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon. And we finished with prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. 
With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out of some of the sun's glare, I dozed off. Something landed in my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. That gull meant food if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. Those folks in that ship made it. Captain Eddie made it. And he never forgot. Because every Friday evening, about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the gulls, to remember the one which, on a long day past, gave itself so that they might live. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself so that we might live. Folks, do we really remember Calvary and what the Lord has done for us? Can I suggest that we should always walk in the shadow of Calvary's cross? And to do that, for it to have its right effect, number one, we should not forget our part. Number two, we should not forget our pardon. And number three, we should not forget our purpose. Lest we forget Gethsemane, what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Let us live in the light of the glorious truth of the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us wake up from our apathy and live as he's called us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for Calvary's cross. We can never stop thanking you for Calvary's cross. For your great sacrifice for us. Forgive us, Lord, where we've just fell into apathy. We've been trapped by the riches of the world. We've been so tossed to and fro in society today that we've forgotten. We've forgotten Calvary. Lord, I pray you would help us to never forget our part. It was our sin that you became sin for us. Lord, help us never to forget our pardon. And you endured the cross for the joy that was set before you. The joy of doing your heavenly Father's will, but also the joy of having many come into the family of God. We thank you for your grace, Lord. May it be that reminder that we need. Lord, I pray that we would not forget our purpose. Lord, that you've left us in this battlefield of the world. 
because you have a work for us. Lord, there's a time of rest coming, a time of eternal rest. A time where we'll be able to rejoice in you forevermore. To rest in you for eternity. But Lord, this isn't the time of rest. This is the time of battle. As we think about the wars that have gone before, we think about all those that have gave their lives, that went and fought. But yet, Lord, we fight the greatest battle of all, the spiritual one. I want to pray you would help us. We need you each and every day, of each and every hour, of each and every minute. We need your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and guide us and lead us. But once again, Lord, we thank you. I pray that we would leave this place and we would never forget Calvary's cross and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.